0: Hello, and welcome to the Story X Story podcast, where we discuss stories across pop culture, plus give you advice on creating your own. It's episode number 66, and today we are going behind the story. I am your co-host, Nigel.
1: I'm Tazzy, uh, content creator, gaming influencer, and co-host.
0: Oh yeah, I forgot about that part of the title. We're gonna uh, (laughs) talk about that across the podcast. Um, But today uh, we are doing an interview episode And our guest has done, he's done a few things that you may may have heard of, Um, we'll definitely dig uh, into that, but for now let me introduce concept artist Bob Cheshire. Bob, welcome to the show. Hello, how are you doing? Uh, I'm doing okay, doing okay, how are you? All good, all good, excited. Cool. Uh, Yeah, we've just been talking about some of the stuff that uh, Bob has been working on, Uh, well not all of it. Anyway, we'll get to that. So <laughs> for people uh, listening, you can subscribe to Story X Story on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, uh, and wherever you get your podcast from. As always, you can send us feedback and questions to feedback at myamada.com in our Discord or on social media. We are at myamada on Twitter, at myamadaTs on Instagram, or at Tazzy on both. Before we get to our questions for uh, this episode, I'm going to give an update on the Mayamada universe. So we're going to be talking a lot about illustration, concept art, so I wanted to let people know about the progress of our latest manga, Sirius Through the Fox. So this is something that if you've been listening to the podcast, uh, you would have heard me mention, but we are working on a new manga uh, with the characters from the series Volume 1 story. Uh, it's called Through the Fog. as a pandemic-inspired story, because I still don't have a better word than inspired, but <laughs> uh, a story where the characters in that uh, world have to face a an unexpected pandemic. I guess there's no other type of pandemic, is there, than unexpected, but... Uh, similar to what we've all been going through. Uh, Last year we did a Kickstarter for this uh, comic and it was thankfully successful. And then the hard work began on creating it. So we're at a good place right now, and it's been written. We're starting on the artwork. We've also got uh, new interns, and one of which is a concept artist uh, who is working on concept art for Sirius Through the Fog. So we're putting everything together. We're going to start the, where well, we started the pages, uh, and you're going to be seeing that in our Discord. Uh, Kickstarter backers will be able to see that, and we'll be putting things on social media so pre-orders for the new story are available on the my matter website now we're aiming for a mid-june release which uh kind of fits quite nicely with lifting of sort of lockdown restrictions that is still on track to to happening to happening here in the uk um, so hopefully that'll be a nice uh, tie-in. And like I say, we'll be sharing progress of the artwork uh, across the different matter channels. We will also be doing a mid-season podcast live stream with artist Penali, story editor Lara Lee, uh, and Lau, who's co-founder of matter That is on Saturday, the 12th of June. So it'll be another opportunity to, yeah, just meet the team. Find out what's happening with the story. Uh, ask questions about that story or any other story within the MyaMada universe. So yeah, stay tuned to our social media for that. Uh, just follow us, and you'll be able to get details when we uh, announce those. And then otherwise, look out for the story. Uh, it's going to be yeah, it's going to be an interesting story. It's not one that I've done before, um, particularly because of the pandemic uh, element. So it's been interesting to put that together and put something that is very close to what we're kind of living into a My matter story so hopefully people enjoy that so that is um manga update from us now let's go behind the story with today's guests so i talked about bob's work as a concept artist and some of the things you might have heard so let me just throw some names out so bob has worked for uh, some of the biggest stories in the world. Star Wars, Rise of the Skywalker, Avengers, Infinity War, and Endgame, Black Widow, and Jurassic World 3. So a few uh, niche indie titles there. Uh, have I missed any <laughs> major ones out, Bob? Uh,
2: uh, Not yet, not yet. Okay, oh, not yet.
0: Cool. <laughs> yeah, so Bob is... Yeah, work for some really beloved titles that for me, uh, particularly with Endgame, been one of my favourite moments in the cinema, like watching that uh, in the cinema. Um, So I might bring that up uh, a few times. I have been extremely fortunate, haven't I? Really,
2: really fortunate with, with the titles that I've been invited to be a part of. Just so, so lucky
0: well it's interesting because this comes up this idea of luck and i i reject it because, <laughs> uh, <laughs> because people say it but we're gonna find so we're gonna we're gonna dig into your journey how you got here and i'm sure we're gonna find that you have done you've done things and you've taken steps that have got you to where you are like any good story to start at the beginning uh, let us know uh, where did you grow up and particularly what were you doing in your career before film and television
2: Um, In terms of becoming a concept artist, it's it's actually quite difficult to point to any kind of one moment where you can go, well, now I was a concept artist where before I wasn't. Uh, Because in in, in one respect, you could always say that I was always a drawer. I was always at home drawing and had a, a pad on my lap, you know, with a biro or something. And I was always, always drawing and painting. So in that respect, you can kind of see that it was always inevitable. But I suppose, professionally speaking, I guess the first professional shove came when I was a school teacher because about a million years ago, I was a secondary school teacher uh, teaching art and design. And I remember specifically sitting in front of parents on parents' evening and they would say things like, Yeah, well, we don't think our son or daughter is going to do sort of GCSE or A level art because, um... and then there'd be a pause. And they would say something like, well, because art's a hobby, isn't it? And I always used to give them the, the same answer whenever that sort of issue of, of the value of art, especially art education, came up. I would always sort of say, well, if you think about all of those things that are around you right now, whether it's the table you're sitting at, the lamp, uh, your clothes, phone in your pocket." the car that you came here in, or the the building that you're sitting in, the chair you're sitting on, all of these things have been through uh, a design process, which means that someone, somewhere, there was a designer. And that language, that design language, obviously starts in a classroom, in art and design classes. And often, you know, the mums and dads, sometimes it didn't make any difference whatsoever, but sometimes you did actually go, you know what, I've never actually thought about it in that respect. Yeah. So in terms of career, I, when I was a school teacher, I was already pushing the idea that art and design was something that you could earn a living at. And I was always saying to the students, "You can earn your living. These skills that we're delivering in class, they can eventually earn you a living." And I remember on my classroom door, I had a list of art and design jobs just to kind of reinforce the idea. But as as I sort of built up my freelance work. I was slowly dropping the teaching. So at first, obviously, it was just a day and then it was two days and three days. And then it came to a point where I thought, you know, what? I'm just going to have to I'm just going to have to jump. So oh, okay. it's a bit scary because, of course, you're going from a, a an employee to freelance and you've got to look after yourself in a very different way, haven't you? But I made the jump and, you know, I, I was doing everything from crikey greetings cards to theme parks, yes, um, doing a, a lot of work for Two Swords and things like that. Um, but eventually, I became an employee again at a games studio, and that was very good for me because I suppose it's that 10,000 hours thing, isn't it? That that rehearsal, the speed, uh, the discipline of it, all of that was um, very, very useful. And eventually, the sort of film work came along whilst I was still at the game developer, and I remember the, that opportunity I, I having that conversation with myself thinking, well, I can either watch this opportunity go by or I can jump. And for whatever reason, I thought, you know, what if I don't want to be in a position in a couple of years, I thought, you know what, if only I had made that leap, you know, Mm. what would have happened?
0: Mm. Don't regret.
2: Yeah. I just had to go for it. And thankfully uh, so far it's paid off, but it is a gamble because it's not guaranteed obviously
0: I think you bring up an interesting, like important point about the idea of balancing, but then ultimately getting to a point where it's like, okay, now I have to decide. (laughs) And you, so you were teaching and you, you sort of reducing your hours in teaching as you do more freelancing. And then, and I had a similar kind of consideration where you can sort of tell me your, your um, mindset at the time, but where I, I felt I was in a nine to five, so to speak, and then also working on different bits for my radar and I wasn't doing either great (laughs) um, because I was trying to do both and then you kind of have to pick one
2: yes you're absolutely right either the teaching was going to start suffering or the freelance was never going to get anywhere so at that point you're absolutely right you have to kind of go I'm going to have to commit in one direction or the other I'm either going to have to just drop the freelancing and go no I'm I'm a teacher or jump
0: the other way you're absolutely right. And where was this school? Um, like what area, if you don't mind me asking?
2: Uh, so I live in Warwickshire. So I taught in Warwickshire. Uh, yeah, so it was, teaching is a fabulous job. And it's one of those jobs which is like a vocation. I know that's a bit of a cliche, but I, I did thoroughly enjoy that impact that you had on students and being able to see their progress.
0: So it was, not you know, it, as I say, yeah, a really, really, really thoroughly good job. And I I understand that because so for my story from going from like a software engineer to working on this brand and then working with young people in schools in terms of like the uh, storyboard uh, session that we do, the comic story workshops and Mm. finding that satisfaction in seeing young people. So one, being a space where they don't always realize that, yeah, they don't always find themselves in in that they can come and work on their ideas and, and draw or create stories. And then seeing them progress uh, and take things on so just thinking about about the school um and i i asked this from a place of also having to sort of seeing teachers working with teachers as well as young people um who who frustrated you more the, the students or the teachers <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that's fine.
2: You know, I, I don't know. I mean, I suppose it, it's like all things, isn't it? There's, It's, ne- it's never one or the other. It's, <laughs> I suppose it's a bit of both, isn't it? Uh, but it's, it's certainly the reason why art education is still important to me. And I, I still sort of have relationships with universities who I will go in and, you know, whether it's a, a Q&A or talking to students or whatever. And there's secondary schools and colleges that I've been into to talk about art and design but also art and design and its relationship with the film industry and things like that, simply because it just, um, suppose it puts a bit of a fire under the students. It it terms, it kind of, they're familiar with the Marvel movies and the Star Wars movies and things like that. And so there is a a relationship that's already there. They can see that your art is actually earning a living and all of that kind of thing. So Mm. Connect those dots for them. Yeah, absolutely. And the thing that I always remind them of is that everybody was a student once, and also, I was sitting in that chair once. I was sitting in that club and, and thinking, "Well, how do I?" I mean, nobody in when I was at school, there weren't concept art courses or all of the things that we've got now. It's fantastic. It's so good that yeah. there are you know, production design courses and things like that. I wish I had that in
0: in my day. Jeez, yeah, that would have been amazing i was going to ask then did so did you go to school to study i guess not concept art but illustration or like where or were you just self-taught fine art
2: that was my route if you were to talk to other concept artists there's no monopoly on what is the right route and it's a question that i get asked a lot about well how do you get there do i have to do this sort of degree do i have to do that sort of degree you know do i have to do a foundation course all of those sort of things and and again there's no there's no monopoly on a right way because there are some people who have come from uh, architecture there are some people who've come from product design automotive design all these different routes that people come into concept art from but what we have in common is a kind of design vernacular there's a kind of understanding and an awareness of design so when students will say well what's the right route I always hesitate about sort of saying, well, this is the only way, you know, you have to do fine art, because that's not true. Kind of, I'm not say find your own way, but... You find a way, like there are multiple Yeah, parts. exactly, because you'll have your own sensibilities, and that's that's actually very important for you as an artist, you'll have your own sensibilities.
0: Yeah. So I wanted to bring in some of uh, the questions we've had submitted. So uh, for people listening, um, we have... So at MyMAD, we've recently taken on uh, some interns, and one of which is a concept art intern, Kerry. They have submitted some questions. Earlier in the year, I worked with some college students on work experience doing concept art. Uh, and mm. uh, one of them, Ida, has also submitted some questions. And uh, I'll be doing, I think by the time this episode is out, I'll be starting a concept art challenge with Newcastle College uh, students. So there's some students there that sent across some questions. So over the course of our discussion, I'll just like throw in some questions. Um, So one of which actually comes from IDI at South Thames College and it's just relevant to what you were saying about sort of different paths because uh, she's essentially asked like, is attending university worth it? Was it possible to learn sort of what you would pick up in a curriculum uh, at home? So how important is that degree or any degree? Now it's kind of a big, often kind of controversial question, but what's your thoughts on it?
2: Well, there are a couple of things with that. First of all, in terms of the people who are going to employ you, ultimately, they're not interested in what university you went to or even you know what, you, what results you got for GCSEs or what, anything like that. Ultimately, all they want to know is, can you do the job? Uh, film is obviously a very expensive medium. And really, if you have a portfolio and you can prove that you can do the job, everything else falls by the wayside. So if you're able to manage to do that, for yourself at home then you know it's a win-win isn't it there are uh, gazillions of resources out there but the thing i'd say is that if if a resource is free it doesn't mean that it's bad and equally if you pay for it it doesn't it doesn't automatically mean that it's good yeah and there's a bit of both there's free stuff which is fantastic and there's free stuff which is really bad and there's stuff that you can pay for which is really good and stuff which is really bad i think as a a general rule of thumb i would have a look at where that information is coming from kind of think what is you know is the person who's delivering it have they been working as a concept artist and then you kind of think well okay well they've been doing the job so they must know you know a few things about and be able to give me some advice but yeah absolutely i think uh, i wouldn't worry necessarily about specific universities or even courses Uh, ultimately it's it's getting that folio together and there will be some people who need uh, the support of a university course to take them through that process and there'll be some people who are just on it more quickly so in some respects perhaps an unhelpful answer but it it really is down
0: to the individual yeah it's it's a realistic answer though it's it's definitely a realistic answer because it it does depend as (laughs) uh, as annoyingly vague as that can be it does depend on the situation but for me what i've seen is that There used to be a time where it was kind of a given going to university, Sure. whereas it's more of a consideration. And that's not to say definite no or definite yes. It's just like it's more of a consideration uh, now. So, yeah, that's an important uh, point that you make. And Kerry also asked, in terms of your fine arts experience, uh, how that has informed your work today? Well, I was really naive, to be honest. When I was painting,
2: I very naively never made the connection between that and the film industry. And I know it seems like so obvious now, but a lot of the things that you, all the formal elements that you use, you know, you're talking about light and space and colour and composition and all of these things, they're exactly the same things that I use as a concept artist, and they're exactly the same things that directors use to tell stories. But again, when I was a fine arts student, I never made that connection, which I know, really embarrassingly <laughs> dumb, right? But when I was a lot younger, you know, when I was 10, 11, I was aware of Ralph McQuarrie, just because I was just a super Star Wars nerd. But I, was never, I never really consciously went, oh, right, okay, well, that's a job then. So I, I can go and do those. I never made that leap, that connection, which again probably sounds really dumb. And it, it was only really when the Star Wars prequels came out, and there was like the making, uh, the art of Phantom Menace and the art of Clone, blah blah blah. And I was looking at those and thinking, you know what? There, there is something there that resonates. There is something there that that makes sense because I was always that kid who would watch you know, the making of at Christmas, you know, when they had the making of Indiana Jones on at Christmas or whatever it was. And it always resonated. It always made some kind of sense. Uh, And yet you'd still think, oh, well, therefore, when you were doing fine art, (laughs) no, never made a connection. You know,
0: how about that? But then, I mean, yeah, I guess looking back now, you think, oh, that's obvious. Why can't you make the connection? But just hearing you say that and in terms of, again, I sort of go back to the young people that I sort of meet in schools and stuff and particularly with video games because we have a video game event and, you know, kids <laughs> play video games and just speaking to kids who haven't made that connection and I kind of, in my mind, I always wonder, how have you not? Like, isn't it yeah, obvious?
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> but it's not. And yeah, I guess that is the that is the issue because you're, you're a lot of kids like, I'm into this. I like the mechanics or the story or whatever it might be. I, yeah. I don't know that I can have a career in it that's a weird kind of because again from the position we're in now it's like yeah obviously because obviously like this people have to make this stuff but yeah when you don't know you don't know
1: I think that goes for like a lot of especially the cr- like creative side of things but just in general I feel like when you're younger you shouldn't be expected to know <laughs> know what yeah, what exactly. you can do that's true but I think we sort of when we're in school and and college and things, no one really tells us that, by the way, or maybe a few people do, but not many people do. So like, by the way, there are all of these like thousands and thousands of thousands of jobs and every skill has a place in a job somewhere and it's making that connection. I think you can only make that connection by having discussions with people, right?
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I think even further than that, the, the, the other disconnect is not only seeing your path from A to B, but it is also that disbelief that you could actually make it, meaning that when, when I was sort of 10, 11, you know, my my mum used to – she was a cleaner, and, uh, you know, then she worked in a, in a book factory until she retired. The idea of me actually working on something like some of the titles that I've been fortunate enough to work on – that doesn't even enter my head. I mean, not in a million years. Mm. And, and and that's where I suppose coming full circle at the beginning and sort of saying how fortunate I have been. I think that's where that sense of fortune has come from in as much as I never at the beginning chased it. I never thought, oh, yeah, I can do that. That's where I'm going. And off I go. It's only later, career-wise, that the penny drops. And I think, you know what, I I think I could have a shot <laughs> at that.
0: Yeah, I might be good at this. <laughs>
2: So it's kind of that's what I mean by I think I'm very fortunate because it didn't have to pay off it didn't you know there was no Dash guarantee two. yeah so the fortune part of it is that it landed butter side up you know
0: <laughs> yeah okay I'll, I'll I'll accept that all right um, but then so going back to that uh, and we are we're going to get into the the Marvel uh, the Star Wars because I could feel like people listening said, no where's he going to talk about Marvel and Star Wars. <laughs> So just making that transition and um, we talked about sort of, uh, parents and not knowing sort of the, the path. And another thing that I, I hear, maybe not always like literally, but I just feel from parents is the idea that art, like whatever the application might be, is a hobby. I think you mentioned it earlier, like, you know, this yeah, is just a hobby yeah. and that thinking about it not being a stable, stable job. So, for you, being someone who you know, you're in a fortunate position of working on sort of uh, Marvel or Disney um, so Disney umbrella, are you still concert, considered a freelance artist or is this now like a stable employee of Disney? Like, how does that work? I mean, we don't need to see your, your contract or anything, but how does that work in terms of like, are you still a freelance artist or are you now an employee of Disney?
2: No, absolutely 100% freelancer because as an employee. If you want to get technical, if you're ill, you get paid for sick leave. You get paid holiday, all of those sort of things. As a freelancer, you are on your own. If you don't work, you don't get paid. Uh, You know, you have to pay for your own equipment. You have to pay for your own training. So, as a freelancer, what what film companies will do is they they pick everybody up, they do the job, and then they let everybody go. So, in between jobs, in between one film and another film, you're technically unemployed because you're just picked up for the service we need x y and z you give them x y and z and then they let you go so whilst i totally understand that of course disney own marvel and they also luke's film etc etc so from the outside i could understand the misconception that somehow you're an employee and you're just sitting at a desk and you're just doing all of these films doesn't work like that at all it's it's very much picked up work with a team in the art department and then let go at the end of it
0: so then do you still do you feel a sense of stability or is there still an uncertainty in terms of like future work because that's and i go back to sort of parents or trying to get in the mind of parents of i want my child to be secure and the the Mm -hmm. nine to five job is secure you 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 check in uh, nine you check out five you do that five days a week and you get your check at the end of the month obviously you're not in that necessarily that position but is there still more stability in where you are or how does that how do you feel about that
2: well it's certainly scary you know when you finish on a job and the phone isn't ringing you're thinking okay how long is it going to be until i get an offer because nine times out of ten you're either asking other artists or oh, do you know what's on at the moment are there any titles that are approving at the moment. That's one way of getting the next job. But I've been very fortunate that, that it's it's usually a production designer who will who'll pick up the phone and say, are you free? So I get dropped on one job. Then there's a scary moment of, oh, when am I going to get the next job? But thankfully, it's always been a case where not long after that, the phone has rung and someone said, oh, are you free? This title's starting. Are you interested? So in that respect, that's a lot of, you know, being very fortunate too, because it's obviously not guaranteed. It is no. you know a, a given that that phone is going to ring.
1: Sounds a bit like being on a roller coaster. <laughs>
2: <laughs> it, it can be. I mean, especially when COVID hit, I had literally just finished Jurassic World Dominion. So I thought, well, I have no idea, no idea whatsoever, when or if that next title is going to come along. So, you know, I waited and the bank account slowly emptying out and waited a little <laughs> bit long. And eventually, thankfully, you know, like buses, three came along all at once and you kind of go, oh, okay, well, brilliant. And off you go again. But for a little while, you, you, you sort of saw your trousers and think, this is, is this going to work? And then eventually, you, you, do, you do, it does come around and, and you're off again, thankfully.
0: Yeah. No, I, I wanted to highlight that because it's, you know, you, you when like young people ask about, The more creative careers and and that concern about stability comes up. Like, I always want to sort of paint a a realistic picture. Like, it's something Mm. you can do, but it comes with its own sets of pros and cons versus uh, something a bit more traditional. So, yeah, that's, uh, and it's just interesting to hear how that process works.
2: Well, it's another reason why perhaps the games industry was a very good, very good for me in that respect as well, because as an employee, it is that bit more secure, not totally secure. of course but it is a bit more secure and it means that
0: you you have that umbrella to shelter under yeah definitely yeah no security is important but i think over the past you know 15 months we've seen that you know nothing's completely secure even though you might have thought that so
2: yeah absolutely
0: um all right so in terms of um some of the titles that you have worked on we've you know we've touched on in jurassic world you mentioned star wars obviously marvel uh we're going to get into that now so i already know the answer but let me just uh, roll the dice anyway. Uh, can you tell us what's coming in Phase 4 of the MCU? <laughs> well,
2: I'll be totally honest. I have no idea. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but I, I know that in terms of what... Um, I've been l- lucky enough to work on Black Widow, and that is coming out July 9th. Yes, I know that. Mean, yep. uh, obviously, that, I did Black Widow straight after Star Wars, so it, it's been a couple of years, and obviously COVID put put it on ice for a little while jurassic world that's coming out june 10th or 2022 and then the multiverse of madness that's dr strange 2 that's out march 25th 2022 cool so a, bit I of a compromise that. in
0: terms of the answer there yeah <laughs> no it's, it's fine I, w- I will accept that so i understand next time we'll get uh tom holland on and uh he'll just tell us everything, <laughs> so uh don't worry about that
1: the beans. yeah
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, All right. So. Yeah, so you mentioned the the titles that you work on, but before we get uh, any further into that, can you tell us, like, what is concept art? So what is the process in itself, and particularly what is the the process for Disney, uh, Marvel, Star Wars titles?
2: Okay, so first things first, I think I need to draw the distinction between concept art, concept design, and concept illustration. You had um, a guest on a few weeks ago. Celine Chu. That's right, Celine Chu, episode 61. And she was absolutely correct because she said that most of the concept art, that, and she was kind of talking very much of the sort of art station of it, it is concept art, but it's more akin to concept illustration. Uh, so rewinding a little bit, concept art I've always described as being a question mark, not a full stop. So question mark, uh, So the concept at the beginning of a production tends to be very loose, very broad, and it's there to ask questions, no more, no less. So you're working closely with a production designer, and he or she is obviously steering the ship visually. They're kind of saying, well, I, I think it ought to look like this. I think it ought to look like that. Have a look at this. This is an interesting shape. Maybe use something like that. And off you go. You start drawing. You start painting again, very loosely, very broadly, and you create uh, a number of drawings and sketches and the, and you're off. You're into a dialogue with the production designer who will immediately kind of go, well, this is working well, that isn't working so well, this really is, it looks a bit dumpy, maybe we should forget using that, or well, this is a really good idea, I hadn't thought of that, maybe we should go with this more. And that dialogue slowly grows and What starts as concept art slowly evolves into concept design where it isn't quite so broad and not quite so loose. You are already beginning to drill down a little bit into design in terms of how high, how wide, uh, what kind of archways, what kind of windows, that kind of thing, to give it a sort of very broad uh, example. Concept illustration really is... Right at the very, very, very end of the process. So in terms of production, I would say at least 80, 90% of what I do is just black and white, very loose, very sketchy, very thumbnail-y, and it's there to ask questions. You'll get a tiny chunk where it's at the end of the process where concept illustration, it's almost like taking stock of everything that you've learned so far. So you've already figured out what sort of columns it is. You've already figured out what the windows are looking like, blah, 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 what the light is doing. And it's it's really uh, a, a bit of a flex at the end of the process. It's very different. And and throughout a production, the need of concept art changes. So after that initial conversation with a production designer, they've already starting to get traction in terms of they're preferring certain routes. They might be liking certain shapes or certain light quality or whatever it might be. And so the art directors, they are starting to formalise these ideas. So the concept artists and the art directors are a bit like the left hand and the right hand of the production designer. We're both, both the concept artists and the art directors are serving the production designer. And obviously everything is in service of story. Let's not forget. So just as the concept artists are a little bit like R and D where it's all question mark, question mark, question mark. It could be like this. It could be like that. Do you want to see it like this? Maybe if we try it like that. And then the art directors have the responsibility of then formalizing those ideas with the production designer into a set that can be, you know, built on a soundstage, ready for the director to shoot their movie. But any director, well, not actually. Correction, not any director. I would say most directors when they look at concept art, what they're really wanting to know is how does this help me tell my story? Because if it doesn't, you're wasting your time. Yeah. It has to tell the story. Everything that you're doing there is about visual storytelling. And again, if it's not helping the director tell his or her story, then yeah, I don't know what you're doing. (laughs) So even at that stage, it's, it's just about question marks. It's about, do you want it like this? Do you want it like that? So, Again, Celine Chu was absolutely right. A lot of the stuff that you see out there is more akin to concept illustration, but it's not really reflective of what the day to day job is. And so, the second part of your question, which is well, is there a kind of a routine that Disney might have or Lucasfilm might have? Mm. Every single production you're on, whether it's a Marvel film or whether it was Lucasfilm, whoever. It's very different. It's it's slightly different because it's very different with each director because some directors are more involved visually than others. And there'll be some directors who are who are not particularly interested in in drilling down into that. And also it's to do with your relationship with the production designer as well. You know, some want to work very closely with you and have very tight reins and some want you to explore in a very different way. So there is no sort of set path or set formula for these different productions to follow. It is very much down to who the production designer is, who the director is, and that relationship between the three of you. Hopefully that makes sense.
0: Yeah. So, and that's interesting You just sort of to, to break them up, those different stages, um, because for me, and I mentioned we've taken on a concept art um, intern, and for me it's a new process so in making our uh our manga it's usually from my mind to you know sort of page or uh, google doc or whatever it might be to illustrate and it's sort of back and forth but mm. what i felt was missing is the stage where we just kind of play with ideas mm. and yeah. early in the year when i was working with the uh, work experience students and i think we spoke about this before we were we were recording this podcast bob that I discovered that what concept art was uh, for me is that I don't know what the answer is. And I like your distinction of the question mark versus full stop. So I didn't know what the answer was, but what I wanted was some suggestions, some ideas, some like, what about this? What about that? And I realized that because what the students I was working with were trying to do was draw me a picture. And there were cases where they'd send work. and be like, you haven't, you haven't told the story, actually, to to come back to that thing. You, you, I've given you the outline of the story. I've given you what happens in this particular part of the story that you're doing art for. But what you've done is just a picture of what you've heard me say. I want to explore this idea because I don't know the answer. I just want to explore it. And I realize that's what the the distinction is, but didn't have appreciation of the different stages within that. So, like, are you doing all those stages or is that you do... The initial part, and in you're passing that on. How does that work? Uh,
2: so typically, I'd, you know, I'd be doing all of those because that role as, as a concept was as, as you say, correctly, we're a little bit like R and D, research and development. We're asking those questions. We're we're posing those visual questions on behalf of the production designer, who's saying, try this out, try that out. So yeah, that morphs that that morphs uh, uh, throughout the production. So it it would be a little artificial to hand that on. Although that said, that said, um, it's quite rare for one artist to work on one environment or whatever the problem might be. Right. It tends to be handed out to all of you, and so it's all the brains on it, turning over these ideas in order to find a solution. So it's not so much. a a, a relay race where you pass the baton on and go right okay (laughs) i've done my bit okay now it's your turn it's more like we're all trying to figure this out how do we arrive at a solution and we're we're turning over ideas visually okay so it's very collaborative in that sense oh i mean absolutely 100 percent. film is very collaborative and in the art department i don't think anybody any one single person can sort of go hey you know what that, that's me that is um that would be a really <laughs> yeah. way of saying it you know concept artists work as a team art directors work as a team art directors and concept artists all of it it's all feeding into the same mix so whilst there are ideas obviously generated uh in, in terms of what finally makes it up there on a screen it is always a team effort, and um yeah, again, very fortunate that I've had some amazing teams that I've worked with. I mean, on Rise of Skywalker, I loved that team so much. So many amazingly, not only good people, good humoured people, hard working people, but amazing at what they did. And so it was a privilege to actually just kind of go, "Wow, you know, it, it really was um wonderful to be on. Really wonderful.
0: Okay, that's really cool, and. Like I say, I'm glad you made that distinction, and I guess there's also a distinction so within that for like environments, for worlds, and, and characters, um, depending on the project. Like, do you get to work on both? Do you have a preference for what you work on in terms of playing with concepts?
2: Okay, well, again, that depends on the production because uh, 99 times out of 100, I'll be working on environments. If you're on a Marvel movie, then you don't really... well not really you don't get to work on any characters unless you are over in the you know the marvel universe over in the united states so in an art department on a on a film production you'll have obviously a props department and they'll have their own concept artist who will be developing concept art for props equally you'll have a costume department and they will have their own concept artist so 99 times out of 100, my sole remit is environments. But obviously, from time to time, there is a little bit of elbow room and spillage. And in terms of the Venn diagram of it, there is some gray. But generally speaking, it's environments. Environments.
0: Okay. Uh, And I'm glad you're highlighting that sort of collaborative effort because I I mentioned Newcastle College. And I I remember when I did the initial talk with. um, group of their students that one of the questions that came back uh, towards the end someone asked that and I'm paraphrasing but essentially is it possible for you to just work on your own um, and and do your art and uh, it was a surprising question and I couldn't think of any other way to answer other than just to say I'm going to disappoint you there is no way that I know of where someone especially someone who's paying you will just let you go off not interact with anyone and then come back and do that. I, I don't know where that where that exists. So uh, it's good that you've given kind of a a picture in terms of how many people are involved and just what the yeah just what the process is for that. And then I did get a question from actually from uh, Newcastle College that came through, and it was is actually related to character, but it was a question about what do you need to know to design a good character? Like, do you have any tips for that?
2: Well, uh, I'll be totally honest. You're probably asking the wrong person. It's simply because, as I say, the vast majority of what I do is environments. In terms of concept art, occasionally you'll do what they call keyframes, something where you are deliberately chasing a moment that you are taking from the script or the treatment. And in that sense, you might introduce a character and – Obviously, of course, you know the sort of titles that I've worked on. You've got a resource there already in terms of what they look like, what the actor or the actress looks like, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, and so you can put them in. But in terms of designing from the ground up, I can honestly say I don't think I've, I don't think I've actually, from start to finish, I don't think I've ever actually even done that once. So, are okay. you asking the wrong person? Unfortunately,
0: sorry. <laughs> no, that's <laughs> not a very helpful
2: answer, is it?
0: No, that's fine. That's that's totally fine, but. That's, yeah. That's interesting to know. Although now you said it, I guess it's not surprising because you are, for the most part, working with already established characters and and worlds and and stories. So I guess there's already prior work that has been done, even if it's a new film. Yeah,
2: but as I say, there is a you know a, a like a costume department, and they will be much more into that side of things because they'll have their own concept artist. So on Rise of Skywalker, for example, there was a concept artist who's obviously their job was to create those costumes and the extra characters. And again, there's a creature department, of course, and then they mm. have their own concept artists creating artwork, creating
0: different creatures and things like that. So you've got different teams of concept artists for each aspect of these productions. That's uh, yeah. that's really cool. So since you are working with these established properties, like as an artist, how much of you is in the work versus what the... Production wants to see. Do you have that? I guess there's obviously only so much flexibility you have there. But is it possible to put some of you in the work? Gosh,
2: that's a really, that's a really, really hard question. I really don't know how to answer that question because on the on the (laughs) the one hand, you are interpreting words and you are taking those words and you're turning it into something visual. So in Mm. that respect, you do have that kind of ownership. However, you, you are being steered by a production designer. The the producer is, is kind of saying, this is what I think it should feel like. This is, what, this is what I had in my mind. This is the direction that I think you ought to go in. And ultimately, you need to translate what is either written on a page or what the production designer is asking for. So it's a little bit like being a plumber in as much as you need to go in and fix the sink. And I don't then own the sink. The sink still belongs (laughs) to the customer, Yeah, (laughs) but I did fix the sink. So in that respect, there is a bit of ownership in as much as I made that translation and made that artwork and started that process and in the mix of what it could potentially look like, but it's not like I have the decision-making power of a production designer who ultimately says, that looks great, that looks rubbish, we're not going in that direction, we're going in this one. Maybe one day, but not
0: yet. So yeah, it's still within that those constraints um, of the yeah of the production, which is yeah I guess yeah to be expected. But I think you've sort of highlighted something that kind of resonates with me because when we make our manga, one of the the cool things is that so I will write the stories, I'll outline, uh, do the script, uh, and sort of design the character, so to speak, not necessarily in terms of like drawing, cause uh, I, I can't draw, I used to draw when I was younger, but I was uh, <laughs> still long gone. But what is really cool is when I send all that to our artist, Penali, is she will then send back sketches, like page sketches, and then we'll do the back and forth thing, like I mentioned. But what's cool is that I will then see the story uh, a second time, so I'll see it in my head and how it plays out. But yeah. quite often times she will send things, and I'll, I'll be like, that's that's not exactly what i said but i like what you've done <laughs> with it and i'm sort of kind of seeing it uh, in a new light and it's giving me new ideas and then we can kind of play off that so in, in that respect i understand what you mean about having some ownership so there's some room for interpretation there and then i guess i d- then decide yeah do this or change this bit here uh, but I, I quite like that process because it's just another chance for someone other than me to <laughs> kind of uh, test out the story and then see what they make of it, and then we can sort of make a decision on the final output.
2: Yeah, and you, and you make a good point there, in, in as much as with some production designers, if you're very if you've worked with the same production designer a few times and they understand what your what your own design sensibilities are, there are some production designers who will give you much more elbow room, and there'll be some that don't give you much elbow room. There is a different relationship with each production designer on each production, and obviously it's great if a production designer is giving you that latitude to go and explore, because it does happen, Mm. and that's fantastic, because then you think, right, okay, off we go. But it can swing both ways. So you're absolutely right. It is definitely a process,
0: but sometimes you get a little bit more room, sometimes less. So again, it kind of depends, (laughs) that, that old word. So along the same kind of trail of thought then, given what you do is is very early in the process so if we're thinking about i mean let's just take an example so endgame like avengers endgame that was like 2019 and 20 that came out Uh, yeah it came out
2: 2019 but i think i was working on it 24 would it would have been
0: 15 or 16 a long time ago right so you just answered my question so when do you get on these productions that's like four years in advance
2: Well, I suppose that one is a special case in as much as they were trying to solve Infinity War and Endgame simultaneously. Yeah, true. In terms of what they were tackling, it was, you know, a, 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 a massive beast because normally as a concept artist, you might be on a title for about nine months where you're, as you said correctly, you're on sort of day one at the beginning when there are very few other people on it because you're... You're starting that process. But then in about nine months, you know, you, you're you're done. However, the, the really big titles, ones like, as you mentioned, Endgame, at the time that was the longest I'd done. That was 13 months. And I had some time out in Atlanta as well um, working on that. But then Star Wars was, uh, in total, 18 months. There was a, a, a wee gap okay. in the middle. But that was the biggest by far. Um, I don't suppose I'll ever be on anything that long again.
0: So 18 months spent working on the concept art for that. Yeah, 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 yeah. And how far in advance was the film actually coming out? Were you involved there? Oh gosh, uh, I think, did I start 2017,
2: I think? I mean, you're really testing my my yeah. memory. <laughs> that would be my best guess. I think it was okay. April 2017. And I think it came out Christmas
0: twenty nineteen. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, it's just a, that sense of I guess time and that how early someone in your position comes into a property, um, and then that distance between it actually coming out and people going to the cinema and seeing it. Um so then like again with that in mind, do you like as someone who comes in so early, do you ever feel a disconnected from the the final product because once it's gone from you there's a lot of changes in just your stage but then to it actually get made shot edited put out do you look look at any work and say i i don't recognize that or you know um how much of what you worked on is actually reflected in and how much changes
2: um well there's a bit of both there's 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 sometimes where it's identical and, you know, nailed on the head identical, and you think, whoa, that's that's amazing. And then there are times where it has moved on for lots of reasons and needed to move on. So it is both, but there's also a disconnect in as much as because it is a job and because you are working with it day in, day out, just like any job, you'll have great days and you'll have bad days. So sometimes when you're watching uh, the film, You'll see a certain set and you'll go, oh, there, that was the day when I was having difficulty with this. Or, oh, right. or that was the day when... <laughs> and, and your head is out of it. So sometimes on the titles that I've worked on, I have to watch it a few times. Because the first time you're kind of washing out that kind of debris of, oh, right. yeah, I remember. I remember that day. Yeah, that blah, blah, blah. So after a few times, then you get to sort of watch it, watch it. And, and watch it like the audience rather than you going, oh, you know, I don't like what happened to that or, oh, that look, that came off really well, didn't it? That conversation that you have in your head. So there's that disconnect too. But I'm very lucky that a lot of the time it's really, really, really nice just to see that process from the artwork and what the art department do. Because I always think the art department punches way above its weight in terms of what we deliver to the overall product. We, I think again punch way above our weight we we um i think we add a lot to a production i think but then of course i'm biased so you know yeah,
0: well, just a little bit just a little bit but it is important though because like since doing this podcast and watching uh things and needing to put together notes so we can uh sound semi intelligent as, as we talk about them i uh, kind of gained an appreciation of that visual storytelling and i remember uh, perfect blue we we talked about the. The anime um by Satoshi Khan and just the the visual kind of clues, foreshadow and misdirection in that. But then in uh, in anything in, in you know the stuff that you work on, you you realise how how much of what appears in the frame has been f- pretty much everything has been thought of. So someone yeah. might watch it and sort of dismiss, oh, why did they wear this thing or uh whatever it might be, but how much work. Like I was watching uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier. I was watching a sort of analysis video, uh, and even with, have you watched uh, that series before? I, yeah, I say something yeah, before. Yeah. Okay, That's so just true, a quick yeah. spoiler alert for Falcon and Winter Soldier. Uh, in that <laughs> case, so U.S. Agent or the Captain America who who sort of then turned into U.S. Agent, where they pointed out his his uniform had the horizontal stripes, and that kind of indicated order, and they sort of matched that with I think. Bucky in uh, The Winter Soldier in the film where he was wearing sort of a wardrobe that also had sort of horizontal versus now in this series where it was more think diagonal and then uh, Falcon um, also had sort of vertical and that was more uh well well, not chaos I was going to say the opposite of order but uh more sort of freedom and I was like I didn't even think of that like in in all all the six episodes watching I didn't even think of that but someone thought of it to put it in visually so everything kind of matches up like you say with to tell the story the story of all and the story of who these characters are who they've been who they are now it's just yeah there's a lot that goes into it
2: yeah absolutely and in terms of Visual storytelling. If if there is no story, then there's no visual storytelling. It's as simple as that. And to quote Martin Scorsese, or well, I suppose isn't a bad person to quote, is it? Yeah. Um, it's not just about what is in the frame. It's also about how it is in the frame. So mm-hmm. all those sort of cliches about it's the silent dialogue, show don't tell. It's all you know. It, it's true. And and what it comes down to is how you control the formal elements, which is color light, space, uh, form, composition, tone, all of those things are the formal elements that you are using as a tool to visually tell a story. That's what it comes down. So within that, pick up what you were saying about Winter Soldier, that you can use shape to tell a story. You can use light and shadow to tell a story. Uh, You can use uh, motifs to tell a story, Uh, visual metaphors to tell a story positive and negative space to tell a story there are lots of ways there's a kind of kit bag of things that you can
0: explore that help you visually tell a story no it is is really like there's so much to it and it's like fascinating to uh, to hear about especially from someone who is like in the actual kind of production uh, of the films that we see in terms of like so we talked like marvel and you mentioned star wars um rise of the skywalker is there a difference in working on something like Star Wars, which has a big history, like from the seventies of characters that have built up, at least in film, that is a lot more sort of well versed than something like Marvel, which is relatively, like, when we talk about film, relatively young, a lot over the past decade or so. Like, do you feel any differently working on something like uh, Rise of Skywalker versus something like Black Widow?
2: Um, it, the dull answer is. But it's still a job, that you go to work and you have good days and you have bad days and it can be stressful or it can be fun. There'll be days when it works wonderfully well and there are days where you think, why on earth am I doing this? So even though there is the kind of glamour of the film industry, and, and this kind of goes back to a, a little bit of advice, sometimes people are seduced by the idea of working in the film industry because it sounds fantastically glamorous and it's like oh "Oh, wow you must be hanging out with film stars every day that couldn't be further from the truth do you hang out with film stars every day or every week monthly not every day not every week
0: (laughs) 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 so monthly you (laughs) You know
2: it it is a job and it's a hard job the hours are long it's Mm. pressured there is a need to work as efficiently as you can and there are times when, as I say, there are times where it's really stressful. And you would think, well, what you're just drawing for a living. For goodness sake, how stressful <laughs> can that be? You're, you're not shoveling coal, for goodness sake. Yeah. But it, it's all the kind of thinking of it, the, the performance of it in terms of not only have I got to kind of arrive at a solution, but I've also got to, in a practical sense, draw and communicate that idea. And I've got to do it efficiently. And I've got to do it again on demand mm. every day for nine months whether you feel
0: like it or not
2: it's yeah it's it is it is a tricky thing and come back people can sometimes be seduced by the idea of oh that must be that's fantastic isn't it And yes it is it is fantastic but don't forget it is a job uh, and a difficult one at that and sometimes and this is another bit of advice uh you've got to be very careful monetizing your passion i think artists whether that's visual artists like myself or it could be musician or whoever to then monetize that passion when you suddenly confront it as a job with good days and bad days you can actually then fall out of love with that passion and i've known artists who've gone you know what i thought i loved art and drawing and i don't anymore and they've gone and done something else and that's that's tragic i'm very lucky that i've drawn from a young age i need to draw i have to draw it's just something that I have to do; otherwise, yeah. I get very cranky. So, I I would be drawing, whether I was drawing for a film or drawing for a game developer or drawing for somebody else, I'd have yeah. to draw. So, in that respect, that's what gets me through.
0: Okay. Is there like has your relationship with um, art changed since you've been in the industry? Like for better, well, I guess better, because you're still <laughs> you're still here. But like, how has it changed, if at all?
2: Well, in in that thing that I was sort of saying that because it's a job, it is a little bit like being a plumber that I have. Uh, I'm going to sound like Liam Neeson. Now I have a certain set of skills, <laughs> I'm not going to come and find you and kill you, but I, I have a certain set of skills. And, and what I'm employed to do is we need concept art to solve this problem. I'm employed to think about those problems and deliver solutions. But like a plumber, once I'm done, that's it. And I don't particularly feel any great ownership of, of that work because if it was entirely up to me, if it was like, okay, you, you figure out for yourself, my solutions would be different. So, again, like a plumber, I go in, I fix it or add to it or you know create artwork in the service of that production, but then it's like draw a line, every pun intended, and I walk away and that's it. My artwork, to answer your question, my own personal artwork is very different so there is that separation between what I do professionally and what I do personally and I think that's probably quite a health well I I would like to think it's quite a healthy way of managing it because if the two blend I think there is a a danger that if I feel like I have a bit more ownership on that artwork than I actually do I think that's going to end up badly and I'm gonna you know come a one day if I think like that so I do separate in my head
0: that is, that is my professional artwork and that is my personal artwork. And does that help with criticism or feelings of like failure if you've not managed to produce something or produce to the level that you either expect of yourself or was uh, required? Like how do you handle that side of um, creativity and, and artwork? Yeah, I mean,
2: that's a very shrewd perception because you're absolutely right that as a concept artist, you are not going to get a solution eight o'clock day one not going to happen so failure as soon as you bring up that word failure is part and parcel of the job it's part and parcel of getting better at any job failure is really important part of the job and actually in that respect you can't lose because even if you were to really fail if you were to do some artwork and go crikey that's not what i meant at all even that means you've pushed the conversation along further because if you've misinterpreted what maybe the director wanted or the production designer wanted then already you know what not to do and so you're you're further along the line to finding what they do want so um yeah failure is is an important part of it and again to answer your question you have to accept failure you have to be thick-skinned enough to realize that that they're not judging me they're not really judging the artwork. What they're doing is giving feedback to move that artwork along. So mm. you can't take it personally. You can't get grumpy thinking, oh God, you know, <laughs> all they said is they didn't like it. Um, so you've got to get over that. You've got to realize that's not what the deal is.
0: Yeah, I, that's really important. You know, uh, so I, again, going back to the the sessions, the workshops that I do, one of the things I see is There'll be a stage in our as we talk about creating stories and characters where uh, I'll talk about character design and, and development, how to build a profile. So then the the kids will start to draw their characters, and I see people spending like so much time to get like a character perfect, and I don't I don't wanna because you know sometimes it's as young as eight, um, so it tends to be around ten, eleven, twelve. So I don't wanna be like, yeah, what are you doing? Just get to the next bit. But <laughs> I always try and stress that like, don't worry about getting this perfect because. You're gonna to have to still draw the comics. You have to do this again and again. And it's not about mm. getting this perfect. You're gonna spend all this time. It's like really trying to, you know, it it materializes differently in different uh, young people. But sometimes people are like, I just need to get this perfect. I'm like, no, you do not. <laughs> like, that's, that's not the aim here. Just get your ideas out and then go to the next thing. You can change it. It can uh, adapt. You can, yeah, do all sorts of things. So that idea of trying to get something perfect, especially perfect the first time, like I see that a lot in young people.
2: Yeah, and that, and that's definitely a reflection on education in terms of their relationship with failure, because I kind of feel, and I'm trying to avoid generalizations, so I'm going to talk about my own experience as a teacher, that schools can have a slightly odd relationship with failure, and that schools, generally speaking, promote the idea of success in a very particular way. And it doesn't surprise me at all that what you end up with are students who think that they've got to get it right and they've got to get it right the first time and they've got to colour in the lines and it's got to tick this box and it's got to tick that box and then I'll get a good mark. And actually art is the antithesis of that. Um, there was this lady who is a, a university lecturer, Tina Seelig, and she put it really, really well. She said, if I gave you the the, the mathematical problem of what is five plus five you can only arrive at one answer, which is obviously 10. But you can mm-hmm. only arrive at that one answer. There's one answer and one answer only. However, if I say that the answer is 10, what is the question? Then all of a sudden, you are much more free and creative because you could go, well, it's uh, 8 plus 2. It's 12 minus 2. it's, And you could be off into any number of creative mathematical solutions, which frees you up and off you go. But it was a very succinct and very clever way of sort of saying, you know, what we can approach this as a slightly different way. And art, especially art education, is the antithesis. I think, and I again, I'm biased, is the antithesis of that approach of that's right and that is wrong. There's obviously good practice, and there's obviously things that are going to help you improve your skill. But in terms of solutions like that. It isn't like that is wrong and that is right. Yeah. If that
0: makes sense. No, that's really important. And especially because when you leave school, then it it starts to become more of the, you know, what is the question almost? Yes. So uh, sometimes it can be, yeah, it can be a a disconnect because you're sort of hammering into kids head that it's the right answer. And like it's the right answer. You have to get it, arrive at it individually. And that's the thing. And then when you leave, it's like, oh, you need to be part of a team and you need to communicate and <laughs> there isn't necessarily a right answer so it, it can be quite of a, a whiplash for for some kids and yeah i i can i can see that the struggle so yes yeah, so yeah. it's a challenging one to to kind of address it is yeah it is it's a culture shock
2: you know as you say as, yes. as they leave school and then they're like oh okay it's a different it is a different set of priorities and a different approach and that can wrong foot people sometimes. And they can either thrive on that or they Mm. can stumble a little bit before they find their feet and go, Oh, right. Okay. This is how we're doing it now. Okay.
0: Yeah. 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 Cool. All right. So I've got a few submit questions and I always want to get your advice uh, and also uh, our bonus round with uh, some questions from Tazzy. But I've got a question from Kerry. So another question from Kerry. And so they've asked, so when you entered concept arts, it was still like a new industry. We've not much known about it. So with your experience now, how do you feel that the industry has grown and changed to this point, either for better or worse? And how do you predict it changing in future?
2: Okay, well, there's two parts to that question. In terms of part one, which is how young or old it is, I would say even before Ralph McQuarrie was doing Star Wars in the 1970s, that obviously kind of popularized concept art. And obviously you had Ron Cobb working on Alien and Giga working on Alien. But uh, there was concept art before that. There was concept art in in a, in a lot of the Hollywood movies before that, not obviously to the same degree, or to the same volume, or the the same necessary requirements, but that it it was at least there. So the second part of the question, in terms of how has it changed, for me personally, and I can obviously only report what I've experienced rather than a, the generalization of what I think everybody else has experienced, it is that the first few productions was very much by hand pencil on a pad and drawing it old school and then it became more digital and more digital and then eventually 3D starts creeping in because that's inevitable when you're talking about design and a production designer is sort of saying well I think this is 40 feet long and that should be 16 feet high if you're going to draw responsibly you can't just then make up that relationship you have to go and in 3D, go right. Well, that's 16 feet high and that's 40 foot long, or whatever it, the dimensions he's asked for, or she's asked for, and off you go. Thankfully, on Star Wars, they they kind of embraced. I did more drawing, as in old school drawing in a in a in a sketch pad that I'd done for a while. But still, nevertheless, it's just a necessary part that the digital side of drawing means that you can edit work more quickly, and that's ultimately, I think, the difference. You can edit it quickly, you can make changes quickly, and because the process is fast, and uh, yeah, it, it you don't get a week, uh, you don't even get half a week to think about these things. You're you're producing dozens of drawings. Well, depending on what's being asked, well, sometimes it can be do- dozens of sketches in a day, or it might be a handful of black and whites. It depends, but yes, okay. it's the edit- editability which is which is why it's moved into digital.
0: Yeah, and are there any particular Is there any particular software or or tools that you use when working digitally? Uh,
2: Well, I'm a massive, massive fan of painter, coral painter. I am in a minority. Most people use Photoshop. Um, I do have Photoshop open, but I tend to sort of flip between Photoshop and painter. I spend a little bit longer in painter than I do Photoshop. But then the 3D of it, SketchUp is brilliant. So SketchUp Pro that just Supports that moment, as I say, with a production designer when he or she says that needs to be 33 feet tall. I know I'm not making it up. I can put something which is 33 feet tall and go, There you go, that's what it would look like at 33 feet tall. And then Keyshot is another bit of software which I use a lot because that just helps speed things up. I could sit there like I did on Thor 2 and just do everything by hand, and it takes ages. Mm-hmm. Or I can put it into a renderer like key, key shot and it just helps me out, supports me in sort of just doing it more quickly and I can get to a solution quickly and I'm off onto the next thing. It's speed, that's what it's down to.
0: Okay, that's cool. That's, uh, yeah, fascinating to hear. Right, my last question for now is, uh, actually it's not even my question, but from Newcastle College is, what has been the most challenging project that you've worked on and why? <laughs>
2: Okay, Newcastle College, the most challenging <laughs> title I've worked on. Well, for different reasons, I suppose. Star Wars was challenging because I am so in love with Star Wars that to maintain a sense, you know, not to just nerd out every day. You have to keep cool and calm. <laughs> but but also from the fact that it, it's about maintaining a distance and remembering that you're... You're designing these new things. I mean, it, it was it was a really, 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 really lovely job. And as I say, the art department were amazing and fantastic. But it was a difficult job. It was hard. Endgame was tricky. That was a hard one for lots of different reasons. I mean, sometimes the production can be wonderful because you're working with wonderful people. And sometimes it, it could be hard because maybe, you know, it, it's, a, it's a bit more sticky. There's no one singular reason. I, I can't really point to any singular reason why one job would be easier than another so a bit of an unhelpful answer but certainly my my favorite to kind of rephrase the question my favorite would definitely be star wars because the ability to go onto a soundstage and you know see the millennium falcon or go onto a soundstage and see the blockade runner it, it just lights up that bit of you inside which is still a child and, and let's not forget, as a concept artist, you have to be in touch with that side of you because it's no good if you shut ideas down really early. If you're someone who kind of goes, oh, as if, then it's going to be really hard work. It really is mm. going to be hard work. It's much more about story before engineering. For example, Indiana Jones in, in you know, four movies, his hat has fallen off once, you know, that's. It's not real life. It's not real life. <laughs> don't worry about it. You know, there's. Is there a toilet on the Millennium Falcon? I don't know, and I don't care. Jack and the Beanstalk. If if the beanstalk has grown, if you're someone who goes, oh, you know what? A beanstalk couldn't grow that tall because uh, 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 it's just not gonna. It's not gonna fly. Or Blade yeah. Runner, when when Roy <laughs> Batty is on the roof and all of a sudden he has a white dove in his hand. Lovely bit of visual storytelling. But if you took it literally. You think, well, what on earth am I doing there? Or oh, mm. as if you've you know got what? to, as a concept artist, be in touch with that that part of your personality that says, "I'm going to go with it. I need to explore it first, see what works, but do not shut it down. Do not get oh, as if that couldn't work because it just it, it isn't helpful. It isn't yeah. helpful.
0: You, there are a lot of people on Twitter who cannot be concept artists. Because that would just yeah. not <laughs> would just not work at all. That would never work. Why is there no toilet? It should be there. <laughs> um, so.
2: Well, there was, there was, a, there was a moment on, on Skywalker. I was working with Rick Carter, who, you know, was really good. And Rick Carter, is he, he did the original Jurassic Park. He, he did Avatar, Forest Gump, he, uh, two and three of Back to the Future. Really, really good production designer. And he was working with Kev Jenkins as well. And And the thing was, there was a moment where I was... Momentarily just fussing over this light source. And he said, and he just said to me, because I said, Where's this light source coming from? And he said, The same place that the music's coming from. And and it's a really, really good (laughs) reminder that remember that it is all fake, all of it. From start to finish, it's all fake. So when people get sort of, you know, in a twist over little things, you kind of go, It's a story. (laughs) <laughs> and it's all fake so don't worry about it it's the story that is being told go with it run with it you know it's not a universal point of view it's probably not even popular but that's my. Opinion.
0: i agree with that mm-hmm. yeah and i say that mm-hmm. as a former engineer uh, as well so <laughs> all right before we get to our bonus round we are now going to get into our creative pro tip So for each interview we do, we ask our guests to give advice for aspiring creative professionals. So we're talking uh, all manners concept art uh, today. Uh, so Bob, what advice do you have for others listening who may want to also make a career out of their art?
2: Okay, so this I'm going to steal something from James Klein. James Klein is an amazing concept artist. He, he works for ILM. He, he's just brilliant at what he does. And I'm gonna steal something that he said. So I'm saying this in full recognition that this belongs to him, it does not belong (laughs) to me. When he first said this, at first I thought, what what do you mean by that? And then the penny dropped and I thought, that's genius. So here it is. He said, as an artist, it's not about your abilities, it's about your disabilities. And as I say at first I thought, Well, what does he mean by that? And then I realized and the sort of example that popped into my head, if you are a musician, and you were writing a song about having your heart broken, if you've never actually had your heart broken, you're not really going to be able to make a very good song about it. And in a similar way, as an Mm. artist, as a visual artist, I think it's about your disabilities. It's actually about your own sensibilities. As an artist, you are bringing something of your own sensibilities, whether that's your design sensibilities or your, you know, it's a it's not necessarily about the skills that you have that are very obvious is what i'm saying so yes to oh, wow. quote james Klein again as an artist it's not about your abilities it's about your disabilities and
0: i thought that was genius wow i've also not thought of that <laughs> so not i've not thought of that like at all so i was just taking a moment it's to like a, very, I mean, it's a that.
2: very democratic thing to say as well i mean i kind of think that a lot of students when they go well i i don't have uh i don't have painter i don't have a Cintiq. Okay. Well, there is time there's plenty of times when I've worked with a biro in a with a in a pad. Go and get a pad. Go and get a biro,
0: and you're off. You yeah. start Off you go. Yeah. No. That's. I don't even know. Uh, I don't ever have anything to add to that. Just yeah. <laughs> just after we finish <laughs> recording, I'm just going to digest that for the next like uh, year <laughs> or two. <but laughs> okay. It's like Radio Four now,
2: isn't it? <laughs> yeah you've
0: you've, you've you've broken you've broken me i'm just like that's so profound i'm like i don't know what to uh do now well again
2: James is James's, you know he, he's wonderful yeah. and he was I, I, I it was a privilege to work with him on on star wars he, he came over for a few weeks and i shared an office with him and uh, he was just a very genuinely you know he was a good guy and professionally incredibly knowledgeable and amazing at what he does and then he comes out with something like that so yeah, yeah
0: i know okay well While I digest that, I'm going to hand over to Tazzy to wrap with our bonus round.
1: So this is the part where we throw in some follow-up questions or random questions that didn't quite fit anywhere else. And it's going to be a mixture of my own questions and questions that have been submitted. So like following on from, well, kind of following on. Um, from that i wanted to ask uh do you end up working with the same people often and what is it like being freelance and constantly working with new teams
2: well it, there's there's a bit of both there, there are familiar faces that that obviously uh crop up again and again uh which is wonderful because i'm very lucky that there are so many fantastic artists that uh, are out there. And so it's always fantastic to see them again and work with them. So in that respect, it's good. But on the occasion that they are new, that is also an opportunity. I think another bit of advice is, you know, be a radiator, not a drain. Because you, if you're a freelancer, if you're the type of person who just moans about everything and nothing is good enough, and, you know, really, you're not going to get employed again. I think it's it's wonderful when Actually, everybody can arrive with a solution instead of a problem, uh, be supportive, be creatively supportive. There is an atmosphere to an art department, which is always wonderfully creative. So come back to your question about working with the same people. It's really good because not only can you see them personally as friends, but professionally, you can see what where they're going with their artwork. It gives you ideas. It helps you out. There's, it's all It's all bonuses basically um there's no downside to it so yes you do see the same faces but there's kind of different faces for different sort of teams because you're right but as freelancers you're kind of picked up and dropped so and i can't wait once all this covid stuff's out of the way to actually go back and see those colleagues those friends would be um i'm looking forward to that
1: well it sounds like you just sort of get the best of both both worlds being freelance um, in terms of who you're working with and Kerry asked uh while you have worked for many major studios with an incredible portfolio to show for it you don't appear to market yourself as rigor- rigorously as some younger artists do you put that down to your experience what advice do you have to younger concept artists trying to network today
2: Okay, so again, two two questions there. The, the first part, then, marketing myself. I am not good at that word, marketing myself. I'm not someone who particularly pushes, like, hey, go and see this. I've done this, or uh, yeah, it just, I don't know, it just doesn't sit well. I'm perhaps maybe a bit too English, you know. I'm, yeah, which <laughs> uh, this probably sounds disparaging to you know our American brothers and sisters, but. I just, yeah, I'm just not very good at marketing myself. I I should, I should perhaps make more of an effort. But in terms of networking, the second part of the question, it's the supervising art director who hires and fires. So it's the supervising art director who you need to, if you have a portfolio, you need to go and stick your portfolio under their nose. That said, it is the production designer who usually is kind of saying, I want to work with this person or that person because they might already have a working knowledge of, what your strengths are, what your weaknesses are, that kind of thing. So once you've done one production, obviously all of the team go off in different directions onto different teams. And thankfully, what tends to happen is when on another team, they say, oh, we're looking for a concept artist, do you know any? They go, oh, well, there's this chap that I've just worked with. So in that respect, you're not needing to market yourself or, or sort of phone call around a lot. Tends to be word of mouth, uh, which is fantastic for me because, as I say, I'm not very good at you know getting my stuff out there and and shouting about it. Does that make sense? It's kind of it's tricky. I'm not I'm not one for sort of shouting out loud about you know hey, go and look at my artwork. That's it. Go and have a look at my artwork. (laughs) This is me marketing myself. Hey guys, we will put a link in the show notes for people to do that. So Bob underscore Cheshire, look at me, I've got it already. Bob. (laughs) Cheshire on Twitter and on Instagram oh it's the same Bob underscore Cheshire there you go that was easy wasn't it
1: there you go having the same um same handles is good marketing so
2: purely accidental
1: <laughs> Ida from South Thames College also asked pretty much the same question um but I just wanted to shout out them for their question as well um and they also ask who or what is your inspiration?
2: Oh, blimey, that's a really hard one. That's really difficult. Uh, I am completely and utterly stumped. Uh, For (laughs) once, I don't know where to go with that question. Who is my inspiration? I don't know. I mean, it really depends because in a painterly sense, uh, I have people like Lucian Freud in my head because when I was a painter, as in oils and canvas and, and mucky brushes and things like that, then obviously Lucian Freud is a favorite of a lot of people. I think he, he is a genius. But then, of course, if you're talking about concept art, then there are so many. I mean, how do you how do you choose? How do you possibly choose? Because they're all different flavors. It's a bit like saying, well, which child do you prefer? You can't do it. It's like, well, that artist is really good at this, and that artist is really good. And that's one of the beautiful things about Instagram and, 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 and Twitter and things is because you, you see all of these amazing artists doing amazing things so there's no one singular person who I'd go that person there. That is the epitome of what I call, you know, amazing. There's lots of them, lots and lots and lots of people, which is perhaps a bit of a poor answer, but that's the only one I've got, I'm afraid.
1: I think it's a great answer. I completely understand. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> As he also doesn't like picking favourites. <laughs> right. I'm with you. I'm with you. <laughs> <laughs>
1: And another one from from me personally. What is it like working for like theme parks and attractions doing concept art? That seems crazy to me.
2: Yeah, it was it I mean great fun and great from the point of view that it was a fantastic introduction to see your concept art then be made into a real space. So having gone through that process of I don't know, designing A queue line, for example, you know, if you went to uh, Alton Towers or, or something like that and you have queue lines and they try and make you click the queue lines more entertaining and et cetera, et cetera. So having done those sort of things to then see them being built, that was an enormous thrill and a very good introduction to that sort of take a drawing and interpret that into something real that you walk on and walk through. Uh, yeah, it was brilliant. Because it was it was theme parks and tourist attractions. There was two swords and all of those things. But it was all great fun. Really good.
1: I didn't even think that, you know, about the queue, queue line. So I love I love theme parks. I love roller coasters. And I, so I love theme parks and going to theme parks. And I've spent a lot of time in in queues, especially at Orton um, Towers in particular. Oh, yeah. um, it was one of my favourites. And, like, I always you know, and queuing up and I'm like, oh, that's cool. Like, you know, it's so, um, like, I'm not just sitting here bored and sometimes you notice particular things in certain queues, like where things are positioned, what you're seeing. Sometimes some places, like, tease the ride or the theme of the ride. Um, and I never put that together. Like, oh, someone's, like, this isn't just random. Someone's actually thought this out. <laughs> Design. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> The, the, the folks at um merlin entertainment who i think are i'm trying to think acton that's right they're in acton in london so merlin they are people who are there all day every day working all that stuff out and they're they're um yeah they're a good bunch
1: they're great definitely next time i go to a theme park i'll, yeah. I'll be uh take it taking more more note and like really appreciating that someone put that thought into my experience there yeah that is it from from the bonus questions um but thank you so much for answering those cool and
0: yeah that is the end of our show uh, i honestly could have asked like so many questions about all the different films i was trying to be disciplined and, and stick to the craft <laughs> but thank you for uh, joining us bob and giving us uh, yeah like your experience and your perspective
2: Uh, Not at all. Um, I appreciate the ask and your very kind interest. I I really do appreciate it. So thank you very much indeed for asking.
0: Thank you. It's been great to hear from you. And for everyone listening, uh, if you enjoyed uh, this episode of Story X3, even though we didn't get to know what's happening in phase four, uh, sorry, (laughs) but uh, make sure you are subscribed to the podcast so that when the films do come out, then we can talk about them and that you don't miss any other episode. You can also give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. This helps us reach new listeners and fans of deep dive story discussions. Uh, once again, our next manga, Serious Through the Fog, is coming in spring slash summer. Um, so make sure you follow us so you can check out uh, the updates in terms of our art and our process, uh, as well as our website for the current stories from the Myamada universe. That's at mymada.com forward slash manga. Uh, for any video game uh, fans, you can uh, join our Discord or we'll consider becoming a Studio 77 member and join us for our next gamepad online event on july the 10th so tickets are free uh, for online events as always and can be found as well as more information about the event at gamepad.events other than that stay tuned for more podcast episodes including creator interviews like these video game discussions and deep dives into stories across pop culture You can also, you can always give us a shout directly. Our email address is feedback at myamada.com and our website to subscribe and with links. So let me do that again. (laughs) You can always give us a shout directly. Our email address is feedback at myamada.com and our website with links to subscribe is myamada.com forward slash story x story. Stay tuned and until next time, uh, stay safe and we will see you all later.